This is a Be Good Indie Arts podcast. Follow us at BGI Arts to learn more. Chatterboxing is a unique show and may not always be for everyone. With varying themes and subject matter each episode, listener discretion is advised, and content warnings can be found in the episode description. Thanks. Welcome back to Chatterboxing, the miscellaneous podcast with only three guarantees. Excellent storytelling, engaging conversation, and, as expected, an ever-changing premise. I'm your host, independent artist and incessant conversationalist, Jesse Bloodgood. Let's roll that theme song. So I like to talk, hope you like to listen, cause I ain't gonna stop, I'm a man on a mission, it's Chatterboxing. As of the time of recording and essentially the time of release of this episode, we are at the the doorstep of Halloween here. I wanted to try to do like some whole like death's door thing and like tie that into death's doorstep of Halloween. I was like, that's just going to be confusing. I won't say that. And then I told you that I was going to potentially say that. And now maybe I should have just said it. I don't know. I really don't care. I'm going to leave this in. I don't feel like editing it out. So you're going to hear it. Anyway, uh, I... I have got a very unique episode, at least as of now, a very unique episode. We're probably going to do things like this again in the future, but we are going to be doing a variation of a well-known segment that's well-known at least to the eight or 9,000 listeners we've got at this point. Uh, that's, That's not the real number that I made that up. It's... A little, a little story timing, but uh, spooky timing. And we've already made that variation. I know we've already done that. Halloween's right around the corner, so spooky timing, whatever. But it's story timing, original fiction. So instead of me recounting a uh, an anecdote from my past, uh, certainly not an anecdote from my future. That would be wild. Uh, it's gonna be something that is completely made up. And to be fair, I've either gotten some details wrong or changed some details. Nothing major, but, uh, you know, just for either creative license or, or just uh, for uh, keeping things anonymous for people uh, in the past story timings. Obviously, not everything is 100% factual, but this story coming up is 100% not factual, at least as far as I know. I mean, I made it up, but hopefully I didn't, like, write this into existence. That would be terrible as it is a horror story. Uh, and to that point, our little, our quick opening chat here, I'd like to just offer up a brief content warning. I understand that there was one at the beginning of the episode, and you can find details on that in the show notes, but uh, just because uh, this story, it, it gets it gets a little dark, I wanted to make sure that I had kind of a, a checkpoint here within the episode but I just wanted to make sure that anyone who might be upset by details in the story was uh, given a fair uh, chance to uh, please go see the content warning. Um, I personally think it's just kind of a horror story that I've written here, and so you can kind of assume uh, some of the details that might be included. I am going to be the first one to tell you, if you don't, uh, don't want to listen to this, skip it. Based off the content, if you're like, wow, this guy's fucking boring. Yeah, if you're going to like skip it because you think I'm boring or because you think I'm a shitty writer, then I'm upset. But we'll move on without you. 
I did have a lot of fun writing this story. And it's 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 fucked up. It's a fucked up story. But I had a lot of fun and I really had a lot of fun recording it. I I went uh, the extra step with like there's dialogue. There's a lot of dialogue and so I I did some voices and they're terrible. I will be on Well, they're not terrible. They're they're not good. And I, I'm just hoping that I put enough effort into them and enough. I'm not going to act like I'm an actor. I'm not going to act like I'm a voice actor. But I think that I did at least convey enough emotion and enough tone and enough this or that to get the point across and make the story convincing, make the uh, the narrative compelling, and the dialogue definitely moves the story miles in the direction that it's trying to go. So... I'm I'm hoping that uh, with the inclusion of my <laughs> my efforts to portray these characters and your experience as a listener will coincide and you will have a fun time listening to this. Without further ado, here is a horror story that I wrote for your enjoyment this Halloween season. Spooky Spooky Original fiction. The city of Portsmouth had seen eight grisly stabbings in the autumn months of 1894. The most recent victim had survived, and now here he sat in his friend Ezra Coonsworth's study, along with Ezra and Ezra's young associate, Algernon Mendelssohn. As to be clear for my listeners, Ezra speaks first in our story. I appreciate you staying late for a nightcap, considering your condition. I'd say he appears to be healing well, though. It's no worry. The physician said a bit of socializing would be good for my spirits. And I'm recovering by the minute, Mr. Mendelssohn. Across the table, the man recovering by the minute was the amateur investigator, Horace Finley. You really don't recall anything else that might have helped you identify your assailant? The middle-aged Coonsworth asked. I've told you all I know, Finley remarked as conversationally as he could, before continuing with a little bit of reluctance. He wore a black overcoat and a hat. It was much too dark to see his face. I'd been tailing him for several blocks until he made a bend down a dark alley, and when I made the corner myself, he was waiting for me. I suppose that that's when we had our scrum. Finley's companions could see that he was still shaken by the attack, which happened just over a week ago. Oh, I apologize. I'm just fascinated by this man. The devil of Portsmouth, Coonsworth stated. He had a look of wonder in his eyes. They're calling him the ruby-daggered man now, actually. Hmm. I've heard that. Uh, on account of the weapon, of course. Yes. I appreciate the correction, Algy. Rumi Daggard Man. I would have to wager that means they leaked your interview with the police, Horace. Likely. It's a fitting name, I suppose. <laughs> yes, yes. Exactly how did the blade look? Ezra Coonsworth's curiosity swayed in the waters just at the edge of the port where Horace Finley's comforts were docked. It was a steel blade, six inches maybe, and the ruby was oval-shaped embedded in the, the hilt. I'm much uncertain. It's hard to gather all the details when you're in a situation like that. You might oh, of course, this. and a, a peculiar yes. weapon, really. Young Mr. Mendelssohn chimed in to try to lighten the mood, and to a degree, Coonsworth picked up the hint. I have to admit, I'm impressed with how well you've managed to track the man, Horace. The police haven't caught a trace of the bastard. <laughs> Impressed. Excuse me. 
It's, it's just this has nearly cost me my life, and perhaps I don't deserve all that much praise. Mendelssohn once again spoke up to offer some kind of consolation. It could make your career, though, sir. And the reward money is up to 50000 It's pretty handsome. If you were to ask me anyway. <laughs> that would be a nice purse, for certain. Coonsworth agreed. Now if I caught that man, this old home could use some repairs, and <laughs> maybe a few additions as well. But what would you do with that fortune, Horace? Finley averted the gaze of his companions. It's not about the money, or the press, even, at this point. Finley clenched the edge of the table. It's about catching that man. That monster. He's killed seven innocent people. The room fell silent, save the crackle of the fireplace. The city slept uneasily several miles down the road from Coonsworth's home. Shall we indulge in that nightcap? Finley broke the silence and reminded his hosts of why he was there. <laughs> Forgive me. I was lost in our conversation. How about brandy? Whatever you prefer, Ezra. Coonsworth retrieved a bottle from the liquor cabinet. He poured a glass and handed it to Finley. And one for you, Algy. Thank you. I, I'd like that. And then, <laughs> I think I should head home. My wife is probably worried with this madman. Coonsworth nodded and handed Mr. Mendelssohn a glass. Me not. Finley oh, turned to the yeah. window and looked out into the dark of the night. And as we enjoy our brandy, the good Lord lets that man walk the earth. He whispered coldly. Not for long. Not with you on the case, my old friend. Coonsworth replied, corking the brandy. Cheers to that. Mendelssohn contributed. Oh, I'm off. I'll see you gentlemen uh, another time. Your Safe company was very out. nice, Mr. Mendelssohn. Finley turned back from the window and nodded to Mendelssohn as he watched him take his leave. Then he looked to Coonsworth. Coonsworth waited a minute or so and then closed and locked the door when he was sure Mendelssohn wouldn't be returning. I couldn't make up my mind with your boy tonight. I felt his concern gave me the license to act out. He's a bag of nerves lately. With all that's going on. Coonsworth apologized for his younger associate's behavior and seemed to glide over his own. He put the brandy back in the liquor cabinet. Then returning to the table, he remarked, I attest that young man doesn't know how to finish a good glass of brandy. He tongues it dumbly like a dog, nursing a wound. He flicked the untouched glass, then he leaves it out to dry up. I think real men devour their vices, don't you, Horace? Finley eyed the glass on the table. The liquid still trembled. That, my dear friend, is an eloquent way to admit gluttony. But I partake as my host would prescribe. Finley threw back his glass and finished the brandy. It didn't taste good. Suddenly, Coonsworth gave him a sober look. Don't you think it's... odd? You're always one step behind this insidious villain. Well, how do you mean? What I mean is... Why not two steps, or even three? You're always just one step behind him. If this man is so difficult to catch, if he's quite so evasive, how come you, you don't seem to struggle keeping up with him? How could you have even gotten so close as to be stabbed? Ezra, that is a very peculiar line of questioning. I have to admit it makes me a little bit uncomfortable. But, of course, my intention was not to be stabbed. It was to capture the man, and that's why I happened to get so close. <laughs> but always... Always so close.
My friend, we have known each other for quite some time, and I'm not sure that I like what you are implying. And what might that be? Coonsworth had an animalistic look in his eye. I'm afraid to tell you what I think you might be suggesting. And I hope... I hope, Ezra, that this is not the reason that you asked me here tonight. I'm dealing with enough. God damn it, I am dealing with enough! Coonsworth looked away for a moment and gently caressed his own empty brandy glass. <sighs> Surely you're dealing with a lot. Yes, I am. Damn it, I am. Perhaps even guilt. Guilt? What are you speaking Algy of? Algy didn't leave to go home to be with his wife. He is waiting in the carriage house at this very moment. And if I don't get his attention by a quarter to eleven, he will assume that you've subdued me, and he will race to the police station. And the coppers will be out in droves looking for you. And your capture will be imminent. This is a damn cruel joke. You understand? You know that. Under I understand. This is a terrible time. This is a terrible time to be. I thought better of you than this. I understand that you do not un that you do not understand a good practical joke. I'd like to leave now. This is not a joke. The police! My capture! You are speaking nonsense, Ezra. Why in the world would Mr. Mendelssohn travel to the police station and, and try to turn me in? I, I am a victim. You have tested my patience this night, but I have no reason to assault you. Must you make me say it? Coonsworth's body seemed to tremble in anger. <laughs> say say, Say it, damn it! I will. We know! Coonsworth's voice cracked as he grew more emphatic. We know! He repeated in a higher register. We know what you've done. Ezra, get a hold of yourself. Finley pleaded with the man. You bastard. Don't you tell me how to behave. I won't take that from a man like you. Coonsworth paced towards Finley. Finley stepped back. You've lost it, Ezra. You've completely lost it. No. I haven't lost it. I found it. I, f I found the truth. You're the devil of Tigered man. For God's sake, you cannot be serious. Finley continued to defend this himself. This is just a sick joke, Ezra. I'm not laughing. I'm not laughing. Sweat beaded at the top of Coonsworth's brow. You know, I've seen, I've seen the man. Where, where do you think I got this? Finley quickly loosened his tie and opened his shirt to reveal a revolting mark on his collarbone. Coonsworth looked at it unsatiated. I concur you've seen him. In the reflection of that dagger. You gave yourself that wound. I know a lying man when I see one. Then Coonsworth drew a small revolver. <laughs> Hell, man! This is insanity! Finley stumbled back further and tripped over a kink in the rug. He caught himself on the mantelpiece above the fireplace. The heat of the blaze was inches away. Are you telling me that Mendelssohn believes this rubbish too? Two minutes to a quarter to eleven, Horace. 
Don't waste your precious time playing charades. What do you want from me? Simple. We want to offer you a deal. In exchange for our silence, you will pay us. Pay you? You think I have money? You will. Catch the killer, Horace. Get the 50,000 reward. Find someone off the street. Pin it on them. Surely, you'd recognize the man who tried to kill you if you saw him again. And any old drifter would do. <laughs> you can plant the dagger. And then you can pay us to keep quiet. Or we can turn you in and collect the reward ourselves. But as your friend, I want to give you a chance to save yourself. The revolver wobbled in Coonsworth's hand. Finley eyed the clock behind his accuser. One minute to 10.45. The flames of the fire crackled their hungry jowls. <laughs> Let the police come. I'll tell them how you locked me in a room and pointed a weapon at me, how you proposed blackmail and false accusations. You'd see an innocent man hang for 50,000, but the truth is you won't, because I can't plant that dagger. I don't have that damn dagger, Finley declared with conviction. The two men stood still for a minute as they studied each other. The revolver shook violently in Coonsworth's hand until it jumped from him and landed harmlessly on the rug. His hand trembled, and all he could do was point. No! No, you are, you are the criminal. They won't believe a word out of your... Out of your they won't... Out, they won't... Coonsworth trailed off, not finishing his sentence. He convulsed. His leg suddenly collapsed beneath him. Finley watched with cold, stricken confusion as Coonsworth slowly rolled to the ground. The man gasped as he slumped to his side, clutching his chest, wheezing and looking pathetically in trouble. He shot a glance up to Finley, then life appeared to fade from his very eyes. Horace Finley's own gaze clouded as the room seemed to bubble around him. Items passed his vision as he tried to stabilize himself fireplace. The clock, reading 10.48 now. Three glasses of brandy. Only one of them still full. He fell. Brandy. Mendelssohn! Ma what have you done now? Finley clawed at the door. His bones felt rigid and mechanical. God. To no avail as his limbs retired on him couldn't move. As he lay still, his vision cleared slightly. Poor Coonsworth. Never had he even suspected Mendelssohn. He hadn't known the true predator had swindled him already. And now there he was. Emphasis on was. His immobile body, still and soulless, at the other end of the study.
Original fiction. So that was spooky timing original fiction. I have one note. That note is that that was not originally how the story was going to end. I will not exactly say how the story was going to end because that could be used as bonus content in the future. But uh, I had recorded a longer version of the story that had some other weird twists and turns and... After deciding I wouldn't use that version, and I would just go with the shortened version, and I was completely sure I was going to do that, then I had even more ideas, but I'm like, okay, I just got to I gotta put this thing out in the world and, and let it exist. And then in the future, maybe maybe next Halloween, 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 I will go ahead and publish uh, multiple endings to the story in addition to whatever Halloween content comes out uh, that year next year on Chatterboxing. Let's jump into our final chat. Okay, I can't I can't not do it. Our final chat, chat, chat. Our final chat is short and simple. It has everything to do with my experience while editing this episode, uh, specifically the story. So I wanted to make a very compelling uh compelling narrative and a, a very suspenseful experience for the listener. And I went through and, and obviously I wrote the story and then I recorded the whole thing. And uh, I listened to it myself. I even sent it to a friend. I was like, is this is this good? Is this suspenseful? And ultimately the decision that I came upon was that it, it needed another element uh, not just to cover up my not-so-great voices, but just to really... Essentially, I needed that extra piece that was going to make this into a true horror story, a true suspenseful experience. And that was music and sound effects. I spent a good deal of time like, okay, well, what can I do with some minor keys and, and try to make these creepy little songs that can be kind of interspersed throughout. And ultimately I found the best way to make suspense is to just have this like droning sound that sort of slowly builds or slowly decays. And then interwoven within that, you can add some, some melody. And that's what I ended up doing. I didn't do it perfectly. Uh, I, I've never really scored a whole story uh we've done a little bit of that type of thing for stories on the spot but i this was almost music throughout the entire thing i didn't want it the whole way because i've listened to podcasts where all you hear is just the music and you're distracted from the voices i don't want to do that i wanted to use silence and basically some some blank space to contribute to the the delivery of the story as well so i I didn't want to overdo it hopefully i didn't overdo it uh, but I will admit I am a bit of an amateur as far as that goes. However, after I added in the music and added in a few different sound effects, after including all of that in the story and listening back through the story, I found the story itself was just so much better. And so the final chat here is just about the use of music and the use of sound sound effects to make the mood of a story, or I should say a scene, rather. I mean, if you watch any movie, literally any movie that is not a silent film, even if it is a silent film, it's got music in it, almost any movie, 
then you are going to hear music used to convey mood. You're going to hear sound effects used to convey situations happening, whether it's an explosion or it's someone closing a door. You know, whether it's a wonderful wedding scene and everyone's happy or it's a suspense horror shot where someone's hiding in a cupboard or some shit getting chased by the killer with a giant knife. Or if it's a car chase, you know, it, it, no matter what, you're going to find music and just soundscapes in general. They have so much to do with the way that we perceive art that isn't necessarily about the music. Movies, plays, podcasts. Uh, you name it. I mean, even some just live art exhibits will use music and other sound effects to achieve more of an immersive situation, which is a really interesting thing to think about. Some of the most famous movies, they like they would not be the most famous movies, in my opinion, without the soundtrack. So it's an interesting thought as you go into the Halloween weekend uh, and you're watching some horror films or you're watching something not scary, you're probably also going to experience music. So, you know, that's pretty cool. This has been Chatterboxing. I am your host, Jesse Bloodgood. I want to thank you for listening to this episode. I would absolutely love it if you either, well, if you, you could do all these things, but you can shoot me an email, chatterboxingpod. If Correction, that's chatterboxingpod at gmail.com. You've got some ideas for what might be a good final chat you just got a question about the show something you might want you know you think that could be a good conversation for me to have with a guest uh or if you have a question about uh any of the stories that have been featured uh i won't necessarily answer them because some of them are pretty personal but uh i will definitely read your email and respond to you at the very least also if you could share the episode with your circles, uh, that goes a long way for me, and it might just give you something to talk about for five minutes with your friends. Uh, or longer, if they're like, oh yeah, I know that podcast. Yeah, I'm one of the other five people that listens to it. It's fucking awesome, man. That'd be cool. And lastly, please go check out Stories on the Spot. We are going to have a Halloween episode coming at you this weekend as well. We are planning for it to be very scary, but knowing us, we are probably just going to laugh through it. So it's going to be a lot of fun. We will see you next time for our next chat. This is a Be Good Indie Arts podcast. Follow us at BGI Arts to learn more.